Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Dara here. Yeah, it feels like fall, right? Okay, so obviously it has been the rainiest time, and I like the rain. I like walking around in the mist. I felt very... Uh, you know, weathering heights for a few days there. I was like, look at me. I'm I'm in the mist. Everything is fantastic. It's so uh, evocative. And then I got sick of it. And then <laughs> yesterday I was just like chained to my computer, typing, typing, typing. And all of a sudden the sun came out. Friends, I ran out the door like it was the gold rush. I <laughs> was just like just going from tree to tree to look at the look at the fall colors in the sunshine i was like it was hilarious you would have thought i was getting paid to look at trees but i was so excited i was so happy like look at these beautiful beautiful trees so uh, i see that the sun is out right now in downtown minneapolis and i would encourage you it's beautiful it is a gold rush it's golden golden leaves it's gold Get out there. I'm going to go to Wisconsin next week uh, on a little travel story for Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine. I am so excited to just drive around and look at fall leaves. It's amazing stuff. What else is amazing in the fall? Good hot cup of coffee. All right. So this show that we have today is just like we're in the heart of everything good about fall. I've got Lee Wallace here from Peace Coffee. Later on, I have some breaking news about Minnesota cider. I've also got a bunch of squash recipes that are up on the internet as we speak. Brown sugar squash pie. Come on. That's some that's beyond your pumpkin spice latte. That's getting that's keeping it real. All right. So, as always, I want to know what you're cooking. You know, text me, 81807. Talk about squash. We'll talk about staying warm. Got some friends out there who are putting cider in a crock pot and making the house smell fantastic. That's one of the good fall things. Tell me tell me about your fall, your how you're making your fall life awesome today. Okay, but first off, so Peace Coffee. This is what I want to talk about. I am full of Peace Coffee right now. I'm full of Peace Coffee all the time. I'm full of many things, but also Peace Coffee. So Peace Coffee is a Twin Cities staple. You know, it has really changed the way we think about coffee around here. I I believe this to be true. And it's one of those subtle changes that happens over time. But I feel like coffee used to be just brands, right? It would be like Kittens Frolicking Coffee and Chock Full of Nuts Coffee, things like that. And But now, because of Peace Coffee, because of efforts of different people over time, it has turned into something that we know is connected to a farm, a farmer, a region. It is a, a, a product of a place. And uh, I, a lot of that has to do with Peace Coffee. Lee Wallace bought the, bought the whole damn thing last May, and I've been wanting to get her on the show. She is here to talk about Peace Coffee, its new chapter in life, what's happening in the coffee scene Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. All right. So first of all, give me a little update on 
you own more coffee than me. You own, so you used to work at Peace Coffee and then you bought the place. Whoa, tell me about that. Yeah, well, I, I was really lucky to join the Peace Coffee team 12 years ago. Um, and when I started, I fell in love with the company right away. And the owners at the time uh, hired me to be the CEO. And we've worked together over the past uh, almost 13 years at this point um, to, to build the company. And in 2016, they decided that it was time for them to sell the business. And we worked through a process. Um, and they ended up selling the business to me because they really wanted to keep the mission and values intact. All right. And so you are not... The like, you know, standard corporation. You're a B Corp, right? Yeah. We're a certified B Corporation, which means we're we're measured on a whole set of things about how good we are to our employees, to our stakeholders, to the farmers that we buy coffee from. And that's an unusual uh, company structure that we only have in Minnesota. I don't know that much about it, but I do know that the, the kind of do-gooding companies, the, the companies that are mission-driven, like Finnegan's, you, these are the B Corps. Yep, Sunrise Bank. There's a, there's a few in Minnesota. We're hoping to, to build the movement, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really great way to figure out how to improve your operations also. Is it? Why? Why would that because they give you an entire framework for thinking about your business. So you go through the certification, and they've thought really hard about all these different ways. Who is that, they? Is a state agency? Ah, so there's two different things. There's becoming a B Corp in Minnesota, and that's like being a C Corp or being an S Corp, right? It's just a legal structure. And then you can get certified by this outfit in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah, so so then you can get B Corp certification, which means they've done a deep dive into your operations, and you have to score over 80 points in order to become a certified B Corporation. Um, and so we've been through that certification twice now, and then we, we can set goals. So every three years they recertify us, and then we set goals for how we're going to improve between those certifications. Oh, fascinating. And what kind of just, you know, I don't need the nitty-gritty, but what kind of goals are they? Well, for us, for example, we measured our carbon footprint and realized one of the biggest parts of our carbon footprint is trucking coffee from New Jersey. And so we switched to rail and we reduced our carbon footprint by the equivalent of one U.S. Uh, household a year. Oh, that's that's very groovy. Uh, OK, so t- this is really what I wanted to have you on the show for is to kind of get an overview of where coffee is in the Twin Cities and what is going on with coffee. Like, I feel like I've been, you know, I, it's, it's one of those parts of food world that I'm tracking and then I get distracted into food and then I come and all of a sudden coffee's changed. So let's get me up to speed to get the country or up to speed. What is, you know, we went through this process. Peace Coffee was a leader in working with farmers and getting them a fair amount of money for their coffee. Is that where we still are? We're still trying to you know, move things in that direction? Or is that stable now? Coffee is a commodity. So it's trained on this very difficult to understand market. Um, and so this year, for the first time in a very long time, for the first time in my career in coffee, the commodity market dips below $1 a pound for coffee. So no, we're not done yet. People like Peace Coffee, companies like Peace Coffee and other companies, a big part of our model is we say, there needs to be a minimum price paid to farmers for coffee. So while the commodity market is below a dollar a pound, our minimum price is kicking in to make sure that farm farm communities are, are sustainable, um, coffee farming is sustainable, things like that. So um, yeah, I, I I don't. Unfortunately, we still have a lot of work to do. So we're pretty comfortable in this country with price supports for say row crops, right? We know that you know there's a, a reason we don't want 
corn prices to dip below a certain threshold or, uh, you know, this is why we buy cheese, you know, and, and the government does and kind of keeps things, try to keep the the economy stable. But coffee comes from a whole bunch of places in a band around the equator, right? So there's no, you know, there's no single governing board for Africa and South America. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the thing about coffee and other peasant crops is that there's not a big market for selling the seeds. So farmers save their own seeds um, or, you know, farming organizations have have nurseries where they're starting the coffee plants. But because there's no market for selling the seeds, there's no big corporation to do a bunch of research. And that's been a really hard thing for, for coffee. And it's been a really hard thing for the coffee industry. So there just hasn't been as much research done. Um, and there's also no way to think about how to increase the profitability for coffee farmers in a centralized way. So you mean there's nobody doing the work of increasing yields or finding right. drought-resistant coffees, right. those kind of things? Right. Okay. Yep. So is that something that you do? Well, yeah. Actually, we do. Um, there, there, the coffee industry has realized that we need to get more organized around that, so great strides have been made. But yeah, for every pound of peace coffee um, that we sell, we put three cents – into something called the Climate Coffee and Carbon Fund, and farming organizations can apply to us for grants. So we funded, I was in Peru in June, um, looking at this thing that we're funding called the Centers of Excellence, where we're funding model farms, and then other farmers can come look at those model farms, modeling, uh, uh, like, good processing techniques, um, uh, good income diversification, things like that. And so we're, we're funding that ecosystem. And where is there an organization that's based in the U.S. or is that uh, this the three cents goes to the three cents goes into this grant pool that we manage and then co-ops can apply to, to us to get so grants. Peace Coffee itself is yep. managing this. Yep. Yep. Oh wow! Uh, it's such a your ambitions are so huge. I mean, I think any of us would think, uh, how can I, you know fill in the role of a, you know, non-governmental organization that, you know, spans 35 countries and just be like, put your hand to your forehead and be like, oh, it can't be done. It's too difficult. Uh, But you're, you know, just digging in. Yep. So a huge part of our model, what distinguishes us from other coffee companies is that we own our own importing company. So uh, whereas in most cases, most coffee companies, they have an importer doing that work for them and on their behalf, and, and those are separate organizations. We have an importing company that we started in 1999, and it's through that importing um, company, which has its own staff, um, that we're able to really go deep in coffee farming communities. Because there's so much going on. I mean, obviously, the you know climate change affects the the areas closer to the equator more. You know, it, it, it's making them those areas hotter. It's having impacts on water. I was just in the Bahamas for a Delta Sky magazine and the people in the Bahamas are rightfully panicked because they're going to lose 12% of their land with a by 2050. I mean, if you think about what that would mean if 20% of 12% of your land just disappear. I mean, that's uh and that's the kind of places that coffee comes from. Coffee comes from Jamaica, coffee comes from Hawaii. It goes in, it, and people if you think I'm going to be able to function without coffee. I have a dog in this fight. <laughs> I'm not going to get through next week without coffee, and I don't think anybody should. It's uh, it's not. So, I mean, you're in there really trying to, to, to move all these levers. We are. We are. So what 
you know, an example of of um, some scary statistics is they're saying by 2020, we won't be able to get coffee from the Chiapas area of Mexico. And so farmers are really facing um, the grim reality of needing to figure out how to change their livelihoods. So some farmers are transitioning to honey. Uh, some farmers are transitioning to cacao. Um, we saw a lot of cacao in Peru in our trip uh, because it, it's it's a suitable replacement crop for coffee farmers. And so we're helping farmers also think through how do we face the reality of a changing climate? How can we keep the coffee flowing? But how can we also help them diversify their income? Yeah, that's complicated because uh, I just think that, you know, the there's still a segment of the population up up north here who just fight about climate change. Like, is it happening? Is it not? And there's just also just other swaths of the world where they're just like, well, we're just going to deal with it. You you fight on your own time. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. I've, I've had people over the past decade um, pointing out to me that we up here in the north um, don't face the same reality that many other people do. We've had... Uh, just a huge increase in the number of landslides. I mean, all kinds of things going on in communities um, where weather patterns are changing and they're really having to change change their lives around this. Yeah, uh, I think uh, people in food are maybe better poised to this because I care a lot about chocolate and the chocolate universe is, is in full disruption from climate change. Yep. Um, as as evidenced by the fact that they're moving cacao. All right, so you have these, you have many things you have to do. So you have to impact the world and, you know, Indonesia. And then you have to also uh, keep people up here who become ever more snobby because I know I become ever more snobby happy. And as Peace Coffee, you guys just opened a second downtown location. We did. Yes. So we've been in Capella Tower for a few years now. That's where Um, I go to get coffee. It's delicious. Thank you. Um, So we opened an AT&T Tower uh, just a few weeks ago, so 901 Marquette. We were part of their full lobby renovation. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. I encourage everyone to go down and check it out. We have our new fall seasonal drinks. So to keep with your squash theme, we have the Harvest Moon Latte that we're serving right now. We rotate different squashes through. We started with pumpkin, but we'll go on to all kinds of different squashes, and, and you can savor that fall taste in that drink. And you were responsible for me meeting many deadlines. Uh, so I go to the I go to the Peace Coffee downtown, and one of the reasons I go to the Capella Tower one, I'll, I'll go out of my way to go there, and it's partly because I know that you pay your local Minnesota employees a living wage, and that it's a good place to work, a good company. I like. You know, if I'm going to spend my three bucks wherever it is, I want to spend it with people that are making a difference. So that's why I go to Peace Coffee. Um, well, Lee Wallace, I want to talk to you more about all of the ways. And so Peace Coffee is growing. Like you're not – you're one. You're you, like people are like, oh, but I have to keep my eye on the bottom line. You're able to do all of this and grow and be a sustainable functioning company. Yep. Yep, we are. Um, and it's it's – honestly, it's fun. I do it because it's really fun and I do it because, you know – I have this new mantra in my life right now, um, and, and I've developed it over the past couple years, but I really believe that you can win by being a good person, and that's what I want my story to be, um, is to show that you can do all these things um, and be a good person. Yeah, our, our margins aren't tremendous. There's lots of things I could make, you know, washers. I'm sorry to the washer manufacturers out there if I'm unintentionally disparaging you, but, you know, there's things I can make where I could – yeah, have feel like there was money falling out of the sky, but I really like trying to solve this riddle, which is how do you run a healthy business and do the right thing? Win by doing good. All right, that's why you're a hero. I like this. So hopefully you'll continue to grow, and we're going to take our good model of doing the right thing and having great coffee to 
uh, the world will take over by doing good, right? That's my plan. Anyway, Lee Wallace, thank you for giving me your morning. I know you've got much juggling, including a puppy. So uh, thank you for taking your time. And hey, everybody, go get some Peace Coffee. Check it out if you're a downtown worker like me. That's good stuff. And uh, we come back, we're going to talk about squash because squash is amazing. Yeah, this is a this is a good squash season, right? You go to the farmer's market and they're all piled up. I love the way they look. All the different kind of gray, blue, green. I just love that. I just love that as a color. If I could have uh, the walls of my house the color of a Hubbard squash, I think that would be perfect. Like just that, just a little blue, but it's gray. That's a good color. Yes, I'm crazy about winter squash. And next three minutes, that's all we're going to talk about. So <laughs> I've got the recipes up. Come on. How do you not just revel in winter squash season? It's the best. I do not like the pumpkin spice latte because it's just so, it's just like the spices. It doesn't have the real, the real thing in the core of it. It doesn't have the squash. All right, so here are my recipes. They're all up at WCCORadio.com. They look good. My number five, Melissa Clark's Maple Ginger Kabocha Squash. All you're doing with this is just taking a squash and you just cut it up like you're cutting up a cantaloupe, you know, those kind of slices, very fast. Then you're just tossing it with a little powdered ginger, maple syrup, olive oil, put it in the oven. You can serve the wedges whole, and then you can just, you know, eat them like melon slices like your kid. Or you can use a knife and fork if you're a very grown-up and important, such as many people are. You put your monocle on, and then you use a fork and knife. Ah, it's good. It's very good. Brown sugar squash pie. This is my number four recipe. And have you ever had, like, an old American brown sugar squash pie. This is a full-on, like, what were the founding fathers having after they signed the declaration? It could have been a brown sugar squash pie. It's a noble recipe. I love this recipe. It's not hard. So just get a squash, get it cooked, put it in a pie. I got the recipe up there. There's a little more steps in that, but you get the idea. Number three, a little more contemporary Delicata squash and Brussels sprout salad. This recipe is so healthy. So it's not only got all of the good, you know, beta carotene and all the good orange squash vitamins. Then you got your Brussels sprouts vitamins in there. Come on. Miso dressing. What are you, Tom Brady? This is crazy. This is so healthy. What are you What are you doing? You can't be that healthy. I have to have a brownie to balance it out. Then for number two. I've got uh, Melissa Darabian's Thanksgiving spaghetti squash casserole. I had some spaghetti squash at Prime 6 the other day. It was so good in this kind of Moroccan style, very spicy tomato. But you can do a lot with spaghetti squash. I know that people were eating it a few years ago, and then people got sick. They're like, it's not like spaghetti at all. It's not. It's squash. It's definitely squash. But you can make it into a casserole, and it is delicious. And I have that recipe up there. You could serve it for Thanksgiving. You can start practicing. That's fun. And my number one most excited about right now is Rick Bayless's squash tacos. All right, so this, it's just so easy. So you just get a jar of salsa matcha. That's a, a spicy 
dry spice, so it's just ground up chilies and some stuff. They sell it in all kinds of places. You just sprinkle it over your squash with some oil. You're done. That's all. And then you put it inside a taco. Put some cilantro and salsa on there. It's good. All right. All these recipes are up there, up at WCCORadio.com. We come back. We're going to have some breaking cider news. Don't touch that dial. And you want breaking, cutting-edge cider news here on WCCO. I am here with my new best friend. (laughs) So I have never before met Melissa Waskowitz, but she's just so charming. And it's one of those people you meet and you're just like, we're best friends now. This is good. So uh, Melissa Waskowitz is here because the cider scene in Minnesota is just booming. It is. It was as of nothing a decade ago, and it is so big now. So Melissa is coordinating the Bushel to Bottle Festival, and that's what we're really here to talk about. But also, she has some breaking news about the cider scene in downtown Minneapolis, and I am dying to let you all know. So Melissa, Melissa Waskowitz, welcome to the show. Thank you, new best friend. All right. So tell the people, because I can't, I'm just bursting with excitement. What is coming to downtown Minneapolis? Coming to the North Loop of Minneapolis is number 12 Cider. So on November 10th, we will be opening an actual cider house downtown Minneapolis. Downtown Minneapolis is Cider House. So we were talking about it off the air. There are cideries in town. There's uh, Urban Forager. There is, of course, you know, Cider Works up in Sociable Cider Works up in Northeast. But this is different because you only use apples from around here, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. And you're just an artisan, crush the apple, make cider. Make really good cider. I did a roundup a year or two ago, and I, I had tried every apple cider that there was. And you're doing the full on like French farmhouse, dry, beautiful, really good stuff. So, so that's what's coming to downtown Minneapolis. Yep, we are in the middle of getting our space finished, and we've got juice in our tanks so that we can open with cider for everyone. And you're going to have not one kind of cider, not two, like 16 tap lines. That's, That's crazy. Yep. So we can do special little batches as well as some standard batches. So it's always going to be an adventure when you come in. So, oh, And not that's not all. It goes on. So you're putting a pizza oven outside on a truck. Yes, we are. Little Tomato will be outside serving up wood fire pizzas. We will have both. Regular crust and gluten-free crust because we know a huge chunk of the cider community does have gluten issues. And it will be all gluten-free flour on the truck because our truck owner is very conscientious of that. So it'll be something for everybody. That's just so good. And so people, this is just going to be steps from Target Field. So if you're used to going down there to to see the twins, you're going to be able to stop and get a cider before or after the game uh, from the farm farmhouse, French-style cider. What is happening to Minneapolis? The awesomeness, I can't even. (laughs) We are very excited to be bringing it to us. All right. I am so excited about this. I am also, let's talk about this, what's happening, the Cider Guild. The Cider Guild is a group of Minnesota cider makers, but it didn't exist 20 years ago. It's kind of exciting. Yep. Um, Minnesota has become the fourth largest population growth for cideries, which is pretty exciting. And so, 
as this has been coming together, a group of these cider makers formed the Minnesota Cider Guild so they can work together as a team as they're each doing their own thing, which has been pretty great because it gives more leverage for working for, you know, in Minnesota, cideries are considered wineries, but this was giving bigger voices to the cideries as cideries, not just wineries. So they do events every year at, to showcase, and this year we're doing a different one than we've ever done. Okay, so a different one. I tr- I was trying to get apple cider people on the show to talk about this, and everybody was like, I can't. I'm, in the, I'm picking apples off the tree. I'm putting <laughs> apples in the press. It's too busy, which makes total sense because this is peak apple season. Like, we are in heaven of apples right now. Like, this is the moment. Absolutely, especially since we haven't had a really good deep frost yet. There's still apples that are coming off the trees. And, yeah, so right now all of these cider makers are out on their orchards picking apples. So – um, what they're going to do with those apples is press them as soon as possible to make the cider. And that was sort of the inspiration behind the new festival that we're doing, the bushel to bottle instead of it just being the cider festival. And so this starts next weekend. Yep, next on October 21st. It's a Sunday afternoon, and we're going to go out to St. Joseph at Milk and Honey, which is they have a beautiful orchard out there and a huge tasting room and a lot of space for us to spread out and celebrate all the things that Minnesota can provide from a bushel and put into a bottle for us to consume. And that goes beyond just cider. Um, Some of the local breweries will be having their things that they've locally harvested hops for or local fruits for. Wineries that are local that have used all local Minnesota grapes will be out there. Oh, that's so cool. So this is happening next weekend at Milk and Honey in St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. But uh, I will say generally, everybody, you know, go Get some cider this fall. Uh, you're going to have non-alcoholic ciders at this new down- downtown cidery as well. So sparkling and still. Yep. So that everybody can sample what comes from the trees. So even if you don't drink alcohol or you can even bring your kids, it'll be a family-friendly space that you can bring your kids to and they can try some fresh cider. I uh, There's so much going on. I've been talking to cider people, you know, on and off for years and uh, I feel like so many things have happened. People are putting in new cider variety trees, and, you know, it takes a couple of years. Trees don't just – anybody who's put in an apple tree knows how that works. You don't get mm-hmm. apples the second you put in the seedling. Nope. It takes four to five years to get a good solid tree. And so we're just starting to see a bunch of the fruit, literally the fruit of the work of four years ago. Yes. That's what we're starting to see is all of these efforts from all of these farmers – And that's what all of the cider makers in Minnesota are basically farmers. They're out. If you do a search for any of these cider guild members, you'll be able to go down to most of their orchards or out to most of their orchards, see the apples that they're growing and that they're turning into cider, which is a really cool and unique thing. You know, I've been into cider for a long time, and there's not many other places where that's where you have the experience is actually on the orchard, which makes Minnesota just that much cooler with our cider because you can actually – meet the makers and see where it's done. It is. And and one of the things that's uh, very neat about Minnesota is that we are particularly well poised to make that really good cider. I I don't know how much people are aware of this, but eating apples have been bred for sugar, right? And so they are delicious. It's wonderful to, you know, take a bite of a, a big oh, I don't know, a honey crisp and you've got the sweetness, you've got the crunch. It's these things. But that's What you want for cider is something else. You want some tartness. You want acid. You want things that can kind of sit in a barrel 
and change in the right direction. I think people maybe know this from wine grapes because if you've ever just picked a, a wine grape off a, a, a you know of the vine, it doesn't taste like a table grape. They're sour. They have too much skin. Like things are going. You know, you're just like, oh, this is horrible. But that's what you need to make wine, and it's kind of the same thing for cider. I've heard them. Uh, some of the cider apples were called spitters because mm-hmm. like, you can't eat them. You take a bite and you're like, pa, pa, pa. oh, it's horrible. A lot of the best cider apples come from the crab apple family. And we know most people see those crab apples as little monsters and are spitters because they are so bitter or they're so tart that they've got too many tannins that people don't want to eat them. But they turn into some of the best hard cider you can find. And we are in Minnesota because of the climate, because of the efforts of the University of Minnesota apple breeding program 100 years ago, we have a bunch of these really nice high acid apples that turn into really good cider. And so we can make cider here that's comparable to what they can do in England and France. And they can't do it in Louisiana and Georgia. Nope. And what's really cool is how each cider house has taken the apples and made them their own. So you could find a Kingston black apple, which is a popular one to use in Minnesota, And each cider house does it different. So no matter which cider you're getting cider from, it's never going to taste the same. It's all different uses of yeast. It's different uses of the apple blends. But that's, I also think, what makes Minnesota cider really special is that everybody does it different. And you can get something different from each cider house. And number 12 has gone in that very French Normandy style. So then you're thinking about... It's a kind of champagne cider, so it's a little bit more complicated, a little bit drier. It's not It's not like, you know, the if you're thinking about the brown apple cider you get at the orchard that's so apple-y, and that stuff is delicious, but mm-hmm. this is not that. No, this one is more like a champagne style, and um, we have a black currant version that you'll get a little, you'll get a hint of the black currant for, from it, and some chestnuts that we've put into other cider, which will add a little bit of the sweetness. And You mean chestnuts the nut or chestnut crab apples? A little bit of both. Oh. So it just, we have some fun with what we can put into our ciders as long as it's, we know where it's being grown and can get it into the cider. Yes, chestnut crabs and actual chestnuts are a big thing here in Minnesota to put into ciders. There's several cideries that are doing that. I love chestnut crab apples. I put in a chestnut crab apple in my yard this year. It's like, why have I never thought of doing this before? And it's it's just as big as my thumb. It's not. It's going to be a long time <laughs> till I get some apples out of this. But I'm on the I'm on the long plan. I'm very excited about this because the chestnut crab apples. You'll see them at the farmers market. I've seen them at the co-ops. They are about this you know, about the size of an egg. So they're mm-hmm. bigger than a crab apple than most crab apples. They're smaller than most uh, eating apples. You know, out of hand apples. What they people in the industry call dessert apples, which I find funny. Uh, <laughs> so they're they're smaller than a standard apple. And they have this just almondy, uh, chestnut-ish. Like, uh, it's got a very – you eat it, it tastes like an apple, but it's got this very subtle note afterwards that just is very prolonged, like a marzipan. I just – it's so beguiling. I love these little apples. You know, I've talked to another – an apple book writer in uh, Maine – 
And it's just he and I were just like, oh, my God, the chestnut crab is the best <laughs> apple in the world. Just totally nerding out. And it's uh, it's the you'll find it in a bunch of farmers markets. A lot of people grow those chestnut crabs because they're good pollinators, right? Yes, they are. So it's one of those things that has just kind of continued through apple culture. The trees, uh, you know, a standard pick your own apple orchard. You may they may just have a bunch of chestnut crabs just for the flowers and the pollen. Yes, that is a very high pollinating tree. Yeah, so I love Which that. Is good. So when we when you actually open, uh, the t- targeted date is November first for this downtown cidery. November tenth. 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 Very important. Totally different. Uh, <laughs> November tenth. You're going to be bringing in apples from the countryside into downtown Minneapolis, and people can watch them being smushed. Yep. Well, if we've got the press out that day, yes. But at least from where you can sit in the bar, you will see the tanks that are fermenting the cider. As it's happening right now, there's a big window, so you'll see through it and sort of have no choice but to see what's going on. I think that's so funny because we've had, you know, in 1912 or something, you go to downtown Minneapolis and all the... All the products of the farms would be coming into the city to then be, you know, put on trains or do different things with. And then, you know, after the 1960s, the model totally changed. Everything left the middle of the city to be closer to the farms. And now we're going totally back. Yep. And that's um, our point of doing this is our our big tagline, so to speak, is to um, uh, reinvent tradition. So we're going back to. The traditional way. The traditional way had good cider in it, so I'm all about this. All right, so the two things we're talking about. So the uh, this bushel-to-bottle festival happens next weekend at Milk and Honey Ciders in St. Joseph. The number 12 cidery, new North Loop location, November 10th. Uh, people that live in the neighborhood, you may see it kind of rumbling before then. Go stick your head in if you want to. It's going to be uh, it's going to be astonishing. I am astonished. I cannot be more astonished. Um, just so we're aware, the tickets for the bushel to bottle event are online. You can go to the Cider Guild Facebook page or website and find that. And for listeners, if you put in the code WCCO five today or if for the next week, what before tickets, you'll get five dollars off regular tickets. Oh, I didn't even know about this. What a Surprise. nice gift! <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I'll tweet out some of this stuff too. If you can follow me on Dear Dara, if you want it repeated. Oh, Melissa Waskowitz, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me on. This was super fun. All it right, was fun. We're gonna come back, and I'm gonna answer a few of your questions on off the menu. All right, my first question is: What is the difference between cider? And hard cider. Well, that's a great question. So here's how it works. Uh, there are little beasts who live on the outside of apples, who live on the outside of grapes, these microorganisms, different yeasts and other critters, and they will eat the sugar inside apple cider and uh, convert it into alcohol. And that's the logic behind, you know, most uh, most alcoholic things so the the, use those critters to convert the sugar in a in a barley you know stew to make beer you use that sugar in grape juice to make wine and that's the same logic and we take the sugar in apple cider and you turn it into alcohol and you know it's uh it changes different different aspects of it through the fermentation so You'll end up with, you know, fragrances of banana and you'll lose uh, 
issues of molasses, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a complicated thing, but that is the basic underlying premise. That's how, that's how fermentation works. It's a, actually the kind of same thing in bread, too, is that you're, the yeast that are involved are uh, you know, digesting some of the sugars and they're excreting carbon dioxide. And that's why you get light, you know, light buoyant bread, bread with all those little holes in it. That's the, the action there. So we owe those little guys quite a bit. I was speaking at that big Minova conference last weekend, and I did not realize how much the microbiome, the microbiome is inside of you and on, to, on the outside of you, the little critters that, uh, you know, convert different parts of your food into things that you can use, uh, how much the startup culture around the microbiome had grown in the Twin Cities. So we got to get into that in a future show. So that's my little shout out to yeast and microflora for uh, keeping us alive and making things taste good. <laughs> All right. So next week, Michael Solomonov is the star chef at Philadelphia Zahav. He's got an encyclopedic new amazing book called Israeli Soul. All the stuff. We're going to talk about that with him. Uh, and then till then, till next week, uh, may all your hummus be silky and your your uh, apples stay crisp. And I will see you back here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.